everybody. Welcome to another edition of We Talk Photo. I am one of your hosts, John Peterson, and with me as always is Jack Graham. How you doing today, Jack? I'm doing great. That's uh, we we really got a, a fun guest for everybody today. I'm I'm super excited about this. We do. I am extremely excited, and and you know every time the topic comes up uh, that this guest is associated with, I get super excited and. Uh, and uh, could spend hours and hours talking with him. So with that, uh, I'd like to bring on... So so who we have today, folks, is our guide and our outfitter for our Alaska Bear Workshop, Mr. Jerry Jakes. How you doing today, Jerry? Doing great. Good to be on the, able to talk to both you and Jack again. Yeah, yeah, it's been a little while. It's, while. it's, uh, it's kind of funny. We, uh, you know, we have a flurry of communication, and then uh, we don't talk to each other for a while, and then we get back together again and uh and right now you're in your winter home down here in the lower 48 uh enjoying winter in idaho yeah i i privileged enough to get to spend about three and a half months every year in southern idaho and kind of uh, take a break from uh, alaska and get out and chase things like desert sheep and uh, coos deer and try to get uh, photos of them Oh, fantastic! Yeah. So your 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 lodge in uh, in Alaska is in Iliamna. How long how long have you been there? Well, I ran away from home when I was sixteen and headed for Alaska. I got up there, and they kept sending me back until I turned eighteen. And after I was eighteen, I I have been up there ever since. I'm now sixty five. Wow. Wow, that's fantastic! So you've been you've been guiding and working up there for quite a long time now. Forty four years. Wow. wow. Well, that's you know, it shows because um, you know we've never used anybody other than you, Jerry. So I mean, <laughs> we never needed to, um, folks. For those of you probably have no idea but uh jerry's operation is amazing um and and you know the the thing is is that he makes us feel really comfortable and and um and and able so that we can do what we need to do and um and and the people who get to come with us um it's first class it really is Jerry, why don't you just just briefly give us an idea on what you're? I mean, you, you you take a lot of pride in what you do, and and just maybe briefly talk about what you do. I guess that's a easy question. Well, sure. We're a, a wilderness lodge in a remote corner of Alaska that specializes in photographers. Uh, we have workshop leaders like you that are the experts and what we do is we provide the lodging the food the air air transportation the bush flights in and out of the uh the back country and then also the boats so every day after you're with us we will go out to a different location and film either bears or gall sheep or possibly walrus and then each evening after we've spent a day out in the wildest country on this planet, we come back to the lodge and your hardest choice is going to be whether you're going to take a hot shower first or go for the hors d'oeuvre tray. 
<laughs> that is. I mean, and and that's that's very true. I mean, Jerry, you do a, a fantastic job taking care of us and and all the clients and 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 folks. The food um, is is really first class. You've always kind of prided yourself on on uh, a wonderful home cooked meal, and we all eat family style around the table and share stories through the day. And uh, it, it's really a fantastic experience. You know, let's John. Let's maybe talk with Jerry a little bit about um, what goes on up there during the the season. Which I guess Jerry, correct? It's uh, June through October. Am I right? That is correct. We will sometimes open the last week of May and then go through the uh, first week of October. And, and can you just maybe just briefly, month by month? Tell us what the differences are, because they're, from what I'm told, we've been up there before, I think, uh, in July. I think we were up there maybe in August once. Yeah, both July and August. Yep. And uh, they were, you know, kind of the same, but they were different. And uh, maybe just tell us what each month represents. Yeah, you bet. Um, they're, they're all very, very different. In June, there's no fish running. And, and the bears are just coming out of hibernation. And so you have two things going on. The bears, or the, the females, which we call sows, have the tiny, tiny baby cubs. And they are, you know, they're the size of a miniature poodle almost. They're so small and so cute. And they're generally out on the sedgegrass meadows eating. Uh, and then they're also digging clams. The other thing that's going on is the males are looking for females that don't have cubs for breeding. And so it's a very unique uh, time in June with spectacular scenery in the background. There's still snow in the high country. We've usually got glaciers in the background. Uh, and June is also one of our best times for seeing the walrus, which are a, a unique animal that uh, there's very few places you can actually see walrus from the ground. And we move into July is when the fish run starts. And you guys have been there in both July and August. And every week is different because as the fish migrate in, they keep going farther and farther upriver into shallower and shallower creeks for the spawning. And the bears will follow that migration. And that takes place kind of all of July and August. And then we get into September and we start getting our fall colors. We still got lots of fish and bears actively fishing, though the bears aren't as clumsy as they are during, especially July, when they're they're been waiting all year for the fish to come back, and they're chasing and missing the fish and splashing around. By the time September comes about, the bears have become very good fishermen. They're very, very much more patient, and they will uh, basically lay down on the bank, rest after they've eaten the fish, get up, wander into the river, uh, maybe make one, two, three tries at most generally, catch their fish, and then uh, eat it oftentimes right in front of us or right across the uh, creek from us. Uh, and the nice thing about September is that it's happening and you have the spectacular fall colors. Lots mm -hmm. of reds and a little bit of purple uh, and the yellows, of course. So it's, it's a spectacular time of year with the fall. When does the weather really turn? Is it early October? 
Hutchside? We, we, yeah, mid-October, uh, we usually pull our uh, float planes off of floats between the 15th and the 20th of October because it starts to get miserable enough. It's just not, not worth doing anything. And then in Iliamna, we usually get our first snow sometime in November. Hmm. So how many, Jerry, how many float planes do you have? How many planes in total do you have? We have five aircraft total. Uh, we have three de Havilland Beavers that are on floats. And then we have a Cessna, uh, a five passenger Cessna that's on big Tundra tires. And then a little Super Cub on Tundra tires that we use for doing some of our aerial work and exploratory work. Yeah, which is fantastic. And these these beaver, I love these beavers. These were these were what circa 1950 roughly built. They were built from 1947 to 1967. Uh, yeah. So it was just 20 years and uh, over 50% of the beavers that were built are still flying commercially today. Which is, that's impressive. That's impressive. We can fit, what, seven or eight passengers in each beaver now? We generally put six passengers in a pilot, but they are rated for seven. And on occasion, we will put seven seven passengers in the beaver. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, when we go up, folks, uh, we get <clears throat> we get some uh, amazing uh, uh, tutelage on how to work and be around the aircraft so it's safe. Um you know, and that that to me, Jerry, is probably one of the coolest aspects of this of this workshop experience is, is getting getting to fly into to Katmai each day, and and you pick a different area each day based upon, as you said, the bears follow the fish, and so you know where the bears are, right? And so you can kind of pick and get us on location where those bears are. That's that's right. And and generally you, Jack, and I are, are talking about what your your desires are with your guests in terms of yep. you know, are they they wanting bears with glaciers in the background, are they wanting bears catching fish with lush green meadows, are they wanting bears on the saltwater beach? And so it's not just where the bears are, which is my job, it's it's knowing what you guys want to make it the best trip for for you for the and i've always said it it's not my trip it's the trip is for my guest and my job is to give my guests the trip that they want and get the images that they want to bring home yeah. we, we, we have not john i mean we've been up there many times we have we have never had a bad day i mean every you know we do this trip jerry that um in in uh we haven't done it because of COVID, but we're going to run it again in 2023 um, in the Southwest. And we drive everybody up to a place called Hunts Mesa. It's in Monument Valley. And many people have told me, told us that the, uh, the drive up, it's about a two hour drive up. There's no roads. You're driving over red rock and lifted suburbans and what have you. The drive up has been as much fun as doing the photography. Once we got up there, and I have to tell you that for me, and, you know, I did do a little bit of flying, not, not even close to what you do, but to me, the flight in and landing on the water, that's as much fun, I don't <laughs> know, as, as the bears. <laughs> and getting to look down and see what we see, it's an amazing thing. Um, cool. So just, I, I think 
it would be interesting, you know, what, just talk about the difference in landing on landing and taking off on water versus taking off on pavement on a, on a normal runway. There's a lot of different challenges, correct? There is. With um, pavement on runways is actually very, very easy by comparison. Where you start getting challenging, even on a wheel plane, is when you're doing things like landing on a beach that isn't level. It slopes into the into the water. Uh, it may be soft. It may have uh, ruts in it. So there's challenges there with the bush planes operating off off runways. And then on floats, you have to make sure that first of all you have enough runway, and there's there's no no maps to tell you how many feet the the pond or the lake we're landing on is in length. So you have to have the experience knowing, okay, it's it's long enough to safely land and take off. Uh, The landings are generally very, very soft because you're, you're, you're landing on water. Uh, But if you've got waves, it's kind of like being in a boat uh, going over waves. You you can feel it. Uh, And of course, we're always looking for, submerged logs and current and and a variety of things but alaska has so much water both rivers and lakes that having the float planes just opens the world to us and being able to fly to different locations every day and land on floats and flying low level we're usually flying 500 to 800 feet above the ground and so you're seeing everything Uh, the patterns that are down there are amazing the color the color differences it's it's addictive Mm -hmm. i i never thought as a kid that i would uh addicted to flying but uh i definitely am and and the wind wind is the wind challenges are different underwater correct absolutely You, you know you have to land into the wind and there's no no wind socks out there so you have to be able to read the water and know what direction the wind's coming from so you're landing actually into the wind and then docking is actually one of the hardest parts about flying a float plane is the airplane when the power's off you don't have reverse you don't have a break you have to time it just right so you softly land on the beach or on the uh the gravel bar that you're coming up to without without, punching uh, a hole exactly yep exactly yeah, I remember. I remember one lake that we flew into. I always, I always remembered. I don't think it's the official name, but it was just enough, is is what you guys called it. And it was just enough to, room to land fully loaded, but not enough to take off fully loaded. And uh, so we had to hike out to another lake. And I've always remembered that. And 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 thought, how did how did you even determine that there wasn't enough length to take off loaded? Did somebody try it and fail? You know. <laughs> well, yes, that, that that lake has two names. It, it's called Just Enough or Not Enough. <laughs> <laughs> and and there is one gentleman that uh, decided that he could uh, he could take off with with a load, and uh, he uh, he almost made it. Wound up skidding up under the tundra, and his plane was parked about a hundred feet from shore out in the tundra and it had to get helicoptered out wow didn't hurt anybody didn't really hurt the airplane but when you're talking uh and that happened to be in a a beaver also there was no way to physically get the airplane back in the water so they had to have a helicopter 
come the 200 miles from Anchorage and pick it up and literally just move it over to another lake that was big enough to, to take off again. Oh. So from a safety aspect, Jerry, I mean, you've been doing this forever, and I, I, it's hard for me to believe there's a better pilot uh, in Alaska. You, you and the people, I know you're really picky on on who you hire to fly your other airplanes, but um, from a safety thing, I mean, you, you, you've you got to be probably, I, mean, I, I, don't, I don't know how to say this, but more, more careful and you know, the guy flying a Cessna at my local airport here. Am I correct? Yeah, safety is a big, big issue for me. I've, I've been in this business so long, and I've seen tragedies that were preventable in so many different places. And uh, so I look at our flying as a risk management, and we do everything we possibly can. I mean, there's adequate survival gear in the airplane, so... If the weather changed and we had to spend the night, we can stay comfortable and have food. We have uh, flight helmets for everybody. The civilian world doesn't use flight helmets, but if you look at the government, both military, uh, National Park Service, uh, State of Alaska, all pilots and passengers have to wear a flight helmet. And statistically, if, if an unlikely accident should happen, it's the same as a motorcycle. A helmet uh, increases your odds of uh, survivability significantly. So that's one of the unusual things we do is we have flight helmets. There's a, a life jacket for every person in every airplane. We uh, have a, a long safety lecture on how to operate safely around the float planes and the wheel planes. Uh, and it's it's constantly on our mind is, is being safe. You know, I have two jobs. Number one, above everything else is keeping everybody safe and number two is giving them a great trip that they enjoy yeah and, and you know i don't know how much you want i know you've told us a whole lot of stories and i don't think we have time on this podcast john to hear all these <laughs> great stories but um you know you've been flying for a long time even i, I prior to doing what you're doing now and do you are you comfortable just generally not getting specific talking about some of that stuff or is that something you rather not talk about? Oh, sure. Um, well, I, I, uh, I flew for multiple years in Alaska without even having a pilot license. I, uh, my adopted family were hunting guides and they, uh, they had airplanes and no instructors. And so, I learned to fly in the Alaska bush, flying super cubs, hopping from gravel bar to ridge top. Uh, and then after a while, uh, I started getting into a little bigger airplane called a helio courier. And the person that taught me to fly helio couriers was uh, in charge of Air America in Southeast Asia for several years. And he ultimately recruited me for my off season. And so I've done State Department flying and flying for different just say alphabet agencies all over the world. I've spent time in Afghanistan and Africa and Central America and South America. And so I've, I've been fortunate enough to kind of see the world from uh, low altitude in a, in bush planes. Yeah. I always, I always loved kind of going back to your time in Alaska, the, 
the one story that really resonated with me a lot was your uh, was your Chuck Yeager story and and uh, when you had to go pick him up. Can you relate just a little bit of that? Sure. My uh, first time I ever met General Chuck Yeager, I didn't even know know that I was who he was. My boss uh, told me to go go pick up uh, two gentlemen that were at a, a strip. A, a bigger strip about uh, 80 miles away uh, and there were two of them I was flying a super cub that had a, a smaller engine than my buddy who was in another super cub and so as we were heading over there I was told that he would pick the bigger person and I would pick the small person uh, so we got there and, uh, the smaller guy introduced himself as Chuck and I don't remember the bigger man's name and uh, we grabbed them and uh, their gear had not arrived. Uh, it was going to be on a, a delayed flight. So we took them back to uh, camp, and uh, uh, they went off to the, uh, my boss and were uh, taking care of their paperwork. And about an hour later, my boss came over and said, uh, hey, I, I need you to go pick up General Yeager and the other gentleman's gear. Uh, it should be arrived by now. And I took about three steps walking towards my airplane and realized, wait a minute, Chuck, General Yeager, I just flew General Chuck Yeager in the backseat of my Super Cub, and I don't even have a pilot's license yet. That's awesome. That's funny. I love that one. Yeah, you've you've had quite the experience. Didn't you have him up at your lodge one or two, multiple times, right? He's been at my lodge many times. In fact, um... Uh, Victoria, his widow, is scheduled to come up uh, this, uh, I believe it's uh, late July or, or early August this year uh, with us. But uh, General Yeager became a, a great friend and a mentor to me. He was a, an amazing, amazing man and truly is uh, one of my heroes. And, you know, I uh, must admit, I, I still get teary eyed when I think that he's gone and i I certainly did a fair amount of crying when, when he passed away this last year. Yeah. You know, one of the things, you know, again, I, not, I don't want to diminish the experience of standing there, you know, not very far away from these huge animals and getting, getting to see and watch what they do and photograph. But John, I don't know about you. I think maybe you'll agree that some of the, off hours fun stuff like sitting around having dinner with Jerry and his folks and hearing the the story you just heard that's just one of hundreds hundreds that we've heard over the years it's such a it's such a such a great experience you know and um, I I could keep Jerry on here all day and ask him to tell us some of these stories Um, I wouldn't do that Um, but he said that Jerry's had such an interesting life. It's an amazing thing. Yeah, but you're 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 very right, Jack. It's the whole experience, and and this is this is really. I often refer to this trip as a bucket list experience, and one that I feel fortunate to have done multiple times. I mean, it was on my bucket list, and and to have found and be working with Jerry over the last few years to do this trip is uh, it, it's truly been a dream come true. 
you know we uh you know and that's one of the things too about about food and food service sorry to come back to that but you know we we eat home style breakfast and dinner and uh jerry you you tend to bring up some of the most amazing cooks uh to bring out fresh food that cater to all sorts of uh uh menus i guess or uh you know folks that have dietary restrictions and and uh, that's a that's a kind of a source of pride for you as well isn't it it is and uh i've got a, a our chef now is uh from chicago he cooks at several high-end uh, restaurants in the chicago area during the winter and uh he's just a phenomenal chef uh and he his assistant is uh actually a last year culinary student uh, who's uh, also a, a very accomplished baker. And it's just fun for me to be able to eat good food and have our guests be able to have the kind of food that they need, need and want. And it, it's, it's family time. You guys become like my family while you're there. And it's just, uh, it's fun for everybody to be able to have great food and be around the dining table and, uh, and kind of recap our incredible experiences of the day. You know, everybody always during the trip has an experience when a bear surprised them that they uh, were uh, filming a bear in front of them and they turned around and here's a, uh, another bear that they didn't even notice was there sleeping in the, uh, in the tundra right behind them 50 yards and uh, you know, or the bear that uh, steals a fish from another bear and every day there's those things and it's so much fun to 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 just talk about what we saw and this amazing experience that we've been blessed to see mhm mhm i i'll never forget the one one year we uh <clears throat> we went and saw a, a bear and its two cubs were sleeping in the tundra and we were able to get um a good vantage point on them really close and it was a it was a tender intimate moment between the mom and her cubs and uh that has stuck with me for years you know more so than the action pictures and the rest of that just this really intimate scene with with this bear sleeping with its cubs was um those kind of memories last a lifetime absolutely yeah what and and, and oh, that's that's what's that's what's so special for me and and rewarding for me is is being able to to get my guest and see things like that that i'm just as excited for this upcoming season now as i was 40 years ago uh, i just i love being able to show this incredible part of alaska with people it's it's i i i love it, it i never plan on retiring someday i'll hmm. i'll probably uh my son will take the airplane keys away from me, but uh, I'll still be there. How is how's uh, how's he doing these days? Well, he's in his last. Uh, well, he's finishing up his junior year in college. He's uh, actively working on taking over the business, uh, and uh, he, you know, he is my my top photography guide now. He's uh, out there all summer. Uh, he's got his own little YouTube channel going with. Uh, some of his experiences with the bears and he's uh he's married i don't think he was married Whoa. when you guys were up there so he's he's married and got a wonderful wife who's very much a part of our business and 
That's so probably a, probably a good not. thing. That's probably a good thing. It it tends to settle you down a little bit, and make you focus. You know. <laughs> it definitely has. He's uh, matured a tremendous amount since he got married. Yeah. Well, he you know he was he was great. I mean he, man I'm, I tell you he was with us a num on a number of days. And, Man, it was he, he was so much fun to be around. Oh, he is. I remember flying in, and he he was spending the night in the backcountry, and we just met him out in the middle of nowhere, and he spent the day with us. Uh, and that, he was 14, 15 maybe at the most. Yeah. Yep. One of the things that uh, that he he remembers vividly, and and so does my wife. It's kind of a rite of passage. He was either eleven or twelve years old. And uh, I brought his him and his uh, uh, little dog, and he camped out among the bears for four nights alone. I, w I checked on him, but he was out there 24-7 for four nights on his <laughs> totally on his own with the little dog uh, among the bears. And uh, that was uh, kind of his rite of passage. And uh, my wife was not happy with me when she found <laughs> out I had done that. <laughs> I bet not. I bet. Well, kind of speaking of that, Jerry, I was going to ask you to talk a little bit. You know, I, you were you mentioned earlier about bears maybe coming up behind us and surprising us, or you know these close encounters. How how safe you've been doing this for thirty some odd years, guiding folks um, into the into the bear country? How safe is this? I mean, what uh, what are your thoughts on that? You know, it's very safe, probably statistically your higher chance of getting hurt uh, as you're driving to and from the airport to get get uh, to your international flights. Uh, it's not that there's not risk, and there's certainly times that it'll get the adrenaline going, but these bears in our area have so much fish and so much food source that they really don't care about us. You know, when, when you're talking about millions of salmon that they they have a, a chance to feast on and good sedge grass meadows in the early spring before the, the salmon get there which uh, sedge grass has up to 22 percent protein in it hmm. as well as the clam beds these bears are so well fed it's why they're the biggest bears on the planet in terms of the coastal grizzlies or brown bears so they're not aggressive towards us in fact i believe some of these bears will live their entire lives and actually never kill another mammal. They won't kill a moose or a caribou. They will exist entirely on the sedge grasses, the clams, and then the four-month season of, of the salmon run. So it's uh, they're, they're very unique that way. Yeah, yeah, they are. I think, I think you, had, uh, you had told me early on, I think the first year we were there, that... Uh, um, a lot of the, the sows, the female bears, kind of like to hang out around humans because we keep the male bears away from their cubs. Yes, that's correct. And it's kind of been odd for me to figure that out and for the, the bears to figure it out. You know, we've been doing this so many years, we know a lot of these bears. Maybe 40% of the bears we know and have got names or nicknames for them. And the number one predator on uh, bears is when they're cubs and it's other adult bears, males specifically, that will, will kill them, kind of like lions. Uh, so 
somehow the, these bears are, they're smart. They're a smart animal. The females have figured out that the big boars don't like to be around us. They, they don't want to be closer than 100, even 150 yards from us. Uh, the younger boars, which don't tend to prey on cubs, don't mind. And then the, the females don't mind being close to us. And we've got a couple of these bears that actually seem to seek us out, the mama bears, and come down and lay down near us. And we've had them go to sleep and let their cubs playing around with us 50, 40 yards away. Yeah. And, and totally relaxed. And, I, and I, I really believe that these females have figured it out and they're smart enough to know that if they're around us, that the big boars are not going to come close enough to prey on their cubs. Yep, very true. That was like the, the I think it was the first year that uh, Jack and I came up, there was a, a sow and her three cubs that laid down 30, 40 yards from us, and they just went to sleep, and they were completely content with us being so close to them. For like an hour and a half. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think the other yeah. thing that's kind of cool, too, is uh, is we've even had non-photographers come on, on these types of trips, because it is such an experience and uh are you seeing more and more sort of iphone or casual non-photographers coming on these trips jerry yeah we are uh and it, it it's interesting you know they'll bring binoculars and, and a cell phone camera and enjoy it just as much because there's so much to see uh we had the creator of um Oh, not Facebook, I'm sorry, with uh, Photoshop on one of our trips, as well as his engineer that developed Lightroom. And their wives were not hardcore photographers. In fact, one of them just brought her uh, her binoculars and iPad as a camera. And I think she had every bit as good a time as those of us that were trying to capture good images of the bears. I would almost so say a, a better time because you're not distracted with equipment and settings and all of this technical stuff. You're you're in the moment experiencing it. That, that's very, very true. And, and the cool thing, too, is that, you know, um, you know, I've been running workshops for quite a while. And, you know, sometimes, you know, you get weathered out and you can't do what you want to do. But um, I think in all the years we've been up there, we've only had, I think, one day or something that we couldn't. A half day. We wanted a half day. We couldn't do. But there's always something to do. I remember there's that uh, there's that cabin. Was it Dick? Um, what's his name? Dick. Uh, Dick Pernicky. Yeah. There's, there's that old cabin to do. There's that little town that's not far from you with the 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 uh, the Fish Russian train racks and the Russian church. Yeah, and um, and and uh, you know, I mean, there's so, so much to do up there. I mean, we're there for the bears, there's no doubt, and whatever else is there. But it's, I mean, it's endless. It's and you guys just know where to get us, and it's, I really appreciate you know all the effort that you guys have have done for us over the years. It's it's been an incredible thing, and, and uh, we're very fortunate to have met. Thanks to thanks to. Uh, our mutual friend here in Seattle. <laughs> yep. So, you know, it's uh, it's just been it's been a gas, and I, I can't wait to get back up in September, which will be fun because, you know, the the color is going to be great, and that's one of the things that we haven't been able to do in the past years. 
Well, and you're the landscape guy, Jack. So I'm uh, I'm going to have my notebook with you with me to take notes because uh, I know <laughs> I'm going to learn so much from you on well, the landscape side of stuff. No, I know I will. Yeah, one of the things you know, and one of the things about Caleb, that's your son, folks. For the, uh, he he's a great photographer. Jerry, you're you're, you're a way good photographer. You don't give yourself yeah, you a credit, but you know. Caleb, I I know. Uh, I think last time we were up there, he was running around with a a, a D eight hundred or a D eight ten or something, and and man, his work is just super. Yeah. You know, um, but you know, it's just a it's a great. I can't wait to get back. It's just and then doing this podcast here, just talking with you. Um, again, I, we could keep you here all day and and get you to go through some of the stories and stuff that. You, you know, um, how's the dog? Do you still have your dog? Yep, we still got the uh, the Belgian Malinois. Yep. And Caleb still has his um, McNabb Shepherd, which is, I guess, similar to That's a great. Uh, That's great. A, a border collie. Uh, and then uh, they just got another uh, Belgian Malinois puppy for his wife. Well, you know what, you know, John. What, what what's really so cool about working with Jerry is 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 that. You know, his whole uh, group of people that work with him, it's its a family. I mean, a lot of yeah. it is family, direct is. family. And the people, you know, you've had, you've had your pilots for years. And, you know, you keep your, you keep, tend to keep your employees, which is, says something about how you run your business. And that's a, a, you should be proud of that. And, uh, you know, it's just, it's all uh it's all good. In September, are is there any chances to get out to the walruses? Is that possible? You think that might be a possibility that time of year? I'd say in September we've got a forty percent chance of being able to see the walrus. Maybe fifty percent chance. Yeah. Uh, Jul- July is usually not good because when the commercial fishing fleet is out in Bristol Bay, the walrus tend to be stay offshore, not go up under the beach. Mm-hmm. And same with August, but. Uh, September it starts getting okay again, and then of course June is the uh, the prime time for the mm-hmm. walrus. Mm-hmm. Well, good. That'd be but, fun. That'd be fun. John, anything else we, we all... didn't hear? Uh Jerry, were you going to say something? I'd say we all all the pilots love going down to see the walrus. It's uh, they're such a unique, strange, almost uh, prehistoric animal. They they are fun to see when the when the weather cooperates and they're down on the haulouts, and there can be anywhere from fifty to a thousand of them hanging out on the beach. And isn't this like one of only two places in the world that they come up on land? Isn't that what you There's said? There's only two places, only two places in Alaska, uh, and I I think there may be a four or five total worldwide that uh, are places you can actually get to to film them, but. Being able to be on the beach at beach level, at eye level with them, is uh, very unusual. And I think think you're correct. I think there's only two places you can actually be on a beach and be at eye level with them. Yeah, and these are you know two thousand pound creatures, and it's crazy. It's crazy. And and folks, um, you know, there's there's always an option to to take a day away from bears and spend the day going out to the walruses. Um, and I think Jerry, you were saying, you know, there's no there, there's there's no guarantee that we'll see them, and you know, so we might spend the day flying out and 
see some great sights along the way, but maybe no walruses. Uh, but that's, you know, that's part of wildlife photography. It is. I just spent uh, a full week in Mexico chasing uh, desert bighorn sheep, and I got skunked. <laughs> never never got a, a single image down in Mexico of a, a desert bighorn ram, although I did later get, get some in, uh, in Arizona. But, uh, yeah, I was in one of the best places in the world for desert bighorn with a good guide, and we got skunked. Well, you're in, so, you're in southern Idaho, so, you know, if you want to drive over up um, out to Wyoming, there's a couple – but, you know, those are not obviously desert bighorns. They're a lot bigger. I used to chase them up at, up on, out of Cody, you know, in the north and south fork of the Shoshone River up there. and They're gorgeous animals as well, you know. It's – it's uh, it's just something to see these creatures between the bears and the sheep, whatever. I mean, it's just an incredible experience. It is. Yeah. It is. Yeah. Well, you know? Jerry, you know, thank you so much for taking time out of your day. I know you've uh, you've got a lot of work to do down here before the season starts uh, here in a in a month or two, and uh, so I really appreciate you taking the time. Jerry, you need to write a book. Yes. Well, someday maybe. But right now, I'd rather just be out seeing seeing the bears and seeing the wildlife and experiencing having the experiences. Uh, if I ever stop flying, then maybe I'll I'll sit down and write a book. Well, <laughs> you, you still need to write a book. You really do. Hey, thank you so much, and uh, you know we look forward to seeing you in September. And John, I'll let you do the uh, I'll let you do the uh, duties here of. Well, folks, you know, as usual, um, subscribe, like, um, comment on the podcast through your favorite service provider. It helps us um, keep generating traffic and uh, and helps support the channel. Um, if you, as usual, if you have any questions, uh, you can talk to us at wetalkphoto at gmail.com. Let us know your thoughts, any ideas you have for future episodes. And with that, Jerry and Jack, I wish you all a happy day. And you two folks out there in listener land. Thank you. Thank you all, everybody. Jerry, you take care of yourself. All right. Thanks. I'm looking forward to seeing you guys back at the lodge in September. Thank you. Thank you.